This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. And now, please turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 20. We're looking tonight at verses 7 through 18. Jeremiah 20, 7 through 18, page 648 in the Pew Bibles. This passage is uh, one of those we encounter in Jeremiah that's uh, something of a soliloquy. Jeremiah's uh, personal reflections on uh, what is going on in his life. We encounter these periodically through Jeremiah, and this is perhaps one of the darkest and one of the most difficult. Verse 7, O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior, therefore my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray that as we take up these thoughts of Jeremiah, these words he wrote, this word that is your word, that you would guide us, help us to understand it, help us, Lord, to learn from this Difficult time in Jeremiah's life. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Recently, uh, actually not so recently, it's been several years now, I recently read a book uh, by Ed Welch with the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. Uh, a book 
on depression. In fact, that's the title of it, simply Depression. And early on in that book, uh, Welch describes the experience of depression using uh, the words of people themselves who had struggled with depression. And it's interesting in this chapter how depression feels, how often the word hell comes up. And these are direct quotes, people describing their experience of that darkness. Here's some samples. Hell came to pay me a surprise visit. If there is a hell on earth, it is to be found in a melancholy heart. I myself am hell. One mother described her child's experience as Danny's descent into hell. Someone else called it a room in hell. A lonely, private hell. Someone else, not using the term, referred to it as the dark night of the soul. Others described it as hellish torments. Hell's black depths. And uh, as Dante understood, there is a very strong connection between hopelessness and the uh, darkness of depression. In fact, the entrance to Dante's version of hell, interestingly, read, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Well, in our passage this evening... Uh, Jeremiah might have chosen that word to describe what he felt. He expresses pretty much what it feels like to be depressed. He felt very alone, felt like he was suffering his own private hell. Why? Well, no doubt a combination of his own temperament with the difficult circumstances he was going through that he tells us about in this text. Well, how do you respond when you are feeling down, when you are feeling discouraged? Some people do experience uh, depression in all of its hellish futility and emptiness. Others don't, but we've all had the experience of being discouraged, of feeling alone, of feeling defeated, of not wanting to get up and go about our duties the next day. How do you respond How do you respond for some of you who do perhaps experience uh, depression or experience being down on this level when that darkness beckons to you to follow it down that dark hole? What do you do? And there's certainly no point in saying, well, you know, a real Christian would never feel that way. I think we can safely say Jeremiah was the genuine article. He was a real man of God. I'm not sure it's proper to say he was a Christian simply because he didn't live in the New Covenant era, but he certainly was one who had experienced God's grace and God's call on his life to be a preacher of God's judgment and of God's grace. And certainly since the time of Jeremiah, there have been those whom God has used in many cases tremendously who also have struggled with the hopelessness and the futility of depression. So what are we to make of this as we, as we look at Jeremiah's experience and perhaps measure it with our own uh, and in varying degrees and at different times? Well, as we look at this passage, we can learn from Jeremiah's experience through four phases that he passes through in this text. But before we do, before we look at those phases he goes through, it's helpful to remember the context. 
In verses 1 through 6, Jeremiah describes Pasher, the priest, this uh, chief officer in the house of the Lord, who, hearing the kinds of things Jeremiah was saying, had him arrested, took him, thrashed him, and, as it says, put him in stocks. And we discussed that word several weeks ago has the idea of being twisted or distorted. We might even think of him being stretched on the rack or confined in a very small space where he was not able to extend his body fully, nor was he able to lie down and rest. Some have even suggested that these words of Jeremiah, verses 7 through 18, were a reflection on his own experience that night that he was in confinement. He was released the next day. In verse 3, it tells us that. But this may well be the experience of that dark night, much as, for example, uh, Jonah, chapter 2, is a record of Jonah's experience having been swallowed and there in the belly of the, of the great fish. But as we look at Jeremiah's reflections, whether on that specific incident or even at that time, or more generally, the opposition and difficulty he faced, we want to look at these phases that he goes through and just kind of analyze what's going on and see how that relates to our own experience. The first place we see in verses 7 and 8, a rather brutal honesty with God. An honesty with God that, frankly, is shocking and borders somewhat on the edge of blasphemy. You know, sometimes, as Christians... Uh, we try to be polite to God, which may be sometimes another way of saying we're being dishonest toward God. Uh, one thing you find in the Bible, in the Psalms and in other places, is a gritty honesty with God where our experience does not mesh with what we see as God's promise, promise to us, uh, God's providence over us, but we try to be polite, we try to be... Um, Kind toward God, as it were. Well, God can take the honesty. And Jeremiah is, is brutally honest here. Notice what he says. First of all, verse 7, the first part of the verse, he accuses God of deceiving him. In fact, some have even translated the word seduced. You have deceived me, and I was deceived. The sense is you deceived me, and I let it happen. You deceived me, God, and I fell for it. He's accusing God of tricking him. Being up, up dishonest with him, not up front with him. And, and I let it happen. I was deceived. I fell for it. I was gullible. And not only that, there seems to be an element here, a charge here of coercion. You are stronger than I, and you've prevailed. What can I do? Who can fight against God? And so the first element here of this honesty, he, he feels like God's deceived him, God's tricked him, God's not been up front with him about what was going to happen in his life. And this gets elaborated a little bit. Uh, he complains to God that he's a laughingstock. I've become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. I'm a joke. Perhaps you know what that feels like. Maybe you experienced that in grade school and junior high school, what it's like to be ridiculed or mocked or made fun of, and how destructive and how painful that is. And that's what Jeremiah is saying here. Yes, God, you called me, but this whole thing has been a sham. You tricked me, and all I have become is a joke to people around me. He complains to God about his unpopular message. Look at verse 8. 
For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 10. Jeremiah, I think, is referring to something very specific here. Jeremiah 1, verse 10. See, I have set you this day over nations and kingdoms, the Lord said to Jeremiah, to pluck up and break down, to destroy and overthrow. Violence and destruction. That's what Jeremiah said. You gave me this message, this message of judgment. Violence and destruction. Not exactly a message that would win friends. In fact, one that certainly would provoke opposition, persecution. And not only that, it hasn't happened. At least at this point, as Jeremiah describes it, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. They mock him because he's saying these things, but they haven't happened. They're not fulfilled. And so, no wonder there's this, this opposition. There's this real honesty, a complaint that he brings before the Lord, feeling like he's been ripped off, that he's been tripped, he's been deceived, he's been coerced. And all that's happened despite his best efforts, despite the call of God, is he's become a joke to everybody, a reproach and a derision all day long, all day, every day, putting up with being mocked and made fun of. So that brings us into the second phase of Jeremiah's experience here, this honesty with God, but then he also, as anyone might think about doing in those circumstances, he, he decides to quit. He decides enough is enough. Let's just try something else. And look at verse 9. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. No doubt Jeremiah thought that about that many times. And it's very natural, given the things he was suffering, to want to withdraw, to want to remain silent, to want to abandon his calling. To say enough is enough, this isn't working, we tried it, God, I'm just going to be quiet, I'm going to go away, and that will be that. But how did that go? Well, look at what he says. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. It's not working out to keep preaching. But if I try to keep silent, that doesn't work out so well either because it's like this fire burning in me and I cannot contain it. You know, he's really caught between the rock and the hard place. And that's distressing. That's depressing when it seems like you've got two options and they're both terrible. You can continue and be ridiculed or you can try not to continue and be utterly miserable. Someone described it this way. The word of the Lord, which had been an outward reproach, now became an inward torture. Because the Lord had called him to this and had put this burden in his heart. You know, there's a saying that as I was wrestling and praying through whether God had called me to the ministry or not, you sometimes hear that if you can do anything else, that is besides going to the ministry, do it. 
Now, that can be taken the wrong way. It could be meant to say, if you can't do anything else, if you're totally useless for any other thing, go into the ministry. Well, that obviously is not the point. Anyone who is in the ministry should be able to do other things, should be capable of other things. That, of course, isn't the point. The point is, if you can do anything else, any kind of other work or vocation, and be happy in it and content in it, then do it. Because, you see, God's call to preach involves a compulsion that will not leave you alone doing something else because you are haunted by the realization that God wants you to be doing something else. He wants you to be preaching. He wants you to be in missions or whatever that call might be. Well, that's exactly what Jeremiah is describing here. Only his wasn't so much a message of hope, at least not now, but a message of judgment. And it was very hard for those who heard it as well as for Jeremiah himself and so, result of that is um, he wants to quit. Well, he goes on in verse 10 about why he wants to quit. Uh, he says, I, if I think I won't mention him or speak anymore in his name, he says that doesn't work out. But here's why I want to do that. Look at verse 10. The reasons he wants to hide. People are talking all around him. I hear whispering. Terror is on every side. Why do they say that? Well, they're saying that because they're calling Jeremiah that. Because that seems to be Jeremiah's message. In fact, in Hebrew, it's Magor Misabib. And that seems to have kind of become Jeremiah's nickname with everybody. You know, here comes old terror on every side. You know, what kind of gloom and doom has he got for us today? But you may remember that name. It was one Jeremiah himself had placed on Pasher. Look back over in verse 3, chapter 20, verse 3. The next day, when Pasher released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord does not call your name Pasher, but terror on every side. Magor Misabib. And instead of learning, instead of fearing, the people took that name and threw it back at Jeremiah himself. I hear many whispering, Magor Mesabib, terror on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. Say, all my close friends? You know, it gets back to (laughs) with friends like these, you know, who needs enemies? These are his close friends. They've turned against him. They think he's gone nuts. Watching. For my fall, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him for all these things that he's saying. No wonder Jeremiah wanted to quit. No wonder he wanted to go away. No wonder he wanted to abandon his calling. His honesty with God, this decision to quit. And then, curiously, this is perhaps the strangest of all, is this passage in verses 11 through 13 where he remembers truth. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior, therefore my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. Huh? How does this fit in with this passage? Some have said that it really doesn't, that what Jeremiah is doing here is saying these things sarcastically, ironically. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah, right. I don't think so. I don't think that's what Jeremiah is doing here. I don't think he would do that, for one thing. But I also think that it's very natural in the middle of this for Jeremiah to swing back and to remember the truth he had been grounded in from childhood. 
He talks here about remembering the Lord and His protection. In verse 12, He prays, let me see your vengeance upon them. In 13, He praises. for He has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. He knows these things. He's experienced these things. He's seen this thing, these things. And what is more natural for someone who's in a condition that Jeremiah is in to swing back and forth between what he knows to be true and what he's feeling at the moment? And so it does seem that these passages fit in there. Anyone who's been in a situation of distress knows how rapidly you can swing from one side to another or ups and downs as if on a roller coaster. And I think in the midst of this, Jeremiah is calling to mind those things that he knows. And he's praying to God and he's confident in God on the one hand, but on the other hand, not so much. Like the man who who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. All of us are a mixture to one extent or another of both our faith in God and our doubt of our trust and our wavering of our strength and our weakness. That's what it means to grow in grace, that more and more we're growing, growing in our faith, growing in our trust, growing in our godliness, even though we will still sin. And I think we see that mixture taking place, that struggle, that going back and forth here with Jeremiah. He remembers the bedrock truth, who God is, a dread warrior. He knows his persecutors will stumble, the wicked will not stand. They will be greatly shamed. They will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. But if we do sometimes swing to truth, remembering truth, standing on truth, in situations of distress, we may be just as quickly Swing to swing back to the other side, back to the darkness, back even to despair. And that's exactly what we have in verses 14 through 18. Jeremiah curses the day he was born, verse 14. You know, we, we don't do that. In fact, we celebrate our birthday, or at least we acknowledge it, we remember it. Uh, Jeremiah curses it. He says, what a horrible day, the day that saw me come into the world, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not even be blessed. He curses the one who brought the news to his father. Verse 15, a son is born to you. Good news. A son particularly who would carry the family name, who would be the the heir of his father, be the security of his parents, making him very glad. Jeremiah says, let that man be like Sodom and Gomorrah and just blasted by God's judgment. The cities the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear cry, be alarmed, because he didn't kill me in the womb so that my mother would be my grave. (laughs) Pretty dark. Her womb forever great. And then he just ends with a lament. Why did I come out of the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Why am I even here? question he's asking. You know, it would be a capital crime for Jeremiah to curse God, but he curses God indirectly by cursing the fact that God had him born on a certain day. It would be a capital crime, Exodus twenty-one seventeen, for him to curse his father who brought him into the world. So he curses the man who brought the good news to his father. He's being indirect, but he again is starting to get very close to the edge. And then he just laments, why am I here? Why was I born just to live this bleak existence? 
Well, the passage ends there. Jeremiah doesn't stay there. Uh, but that's where we end. It ends on a dark note. But Jeremiah needed to remember and would remember three things. Things that we need to remember as well. Things that do bring light at the end of this darkness. First of all, the purposes of God. He talks about the day he was born. He curses the day he was born. But you know, that's not when it began. God had his purposes for Jeremiah even before he was conceived, even before he was in the womb. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You see, God has his purposes for Jeremiah that even precede his being conceived. Actually, that even precede the creation of the, the world. He has his purposes for us as well. You know, Jeremiah asks, why was I born? Well, God has told him. God has his purposes for him, just as he has his purposes for us as well. And it's helpful to remember that. When we have those days like Jeremiah, we just ask, why am I here? What is, what's the point to remember that God has his purposes? There is a reason you're here. God has written every day for you in his book before one of those come to be. And we know that his purposes are for good, for his glory. We may have, a tr- have trouble seeing that and understanding that at a given point. But then again, we're not seeing the whole picture. And Jeremiah is not seeing the whole picture. So remember the purposes of God, purposes for life and joy and hope. Second, remember the faithfulness of God. Yes, it was tough. Yes, Jeremiah felt like he couldn't go on another day. But he also needed to remember another promise of God. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 18. This is why God told Jeremiah these things right up front. He wasn't deceived. 118. Behold, the Lord says to Jeremiah early on, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you. God hadn't deceived Jeremiah. God does not lie. God does not deceive anybody. God told him right up front, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Yes, Jeremiah spent the night confined, but he was released the next day. Jeremiah couldn't see it at the time. He thought he'd reached his limit. But he needed to continue to cling in faith to the word, the promises of God, until he saw the deliverance of God. And we do too. In that dark night, in that hellish torment, to cling to the word of God, to cling in faith until we see God's deliverance, until the day dawns. Which may or may not happen in this life. The salvation of God brings us third to the salvation of God. You know, Jeremiah felt like all he talked about was violence and destruction. You probably feel the same way. Violence and destruction. I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. And that was, of course, a significant part of his message. But there was more, and there would be more. See, the Lord says to Jeremiah, I've set you this day over nations, over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow. This is what he's telling him at the very beginning of his ministry. 
To pluck up and break down, yes. To destroy and overthrow, yes. But that wasn't all. To build and to plant. And there would be passages in Jeremiah, messages from the Lord of building and of planting and of hope for a future. You see, God's message is judgment because they needed judgment, but it's not all judgment. And even in the destruction of Judah, an exile, a remnant would be spared through the exile, taken into exile. And that sprig, that sapling of a people would be brought back and replanted in Judah and would grow. And out of that would come the Messiah, the Savior. You see, even judgment didn't have the last word over Judah. God was working out his purposes. The destruction of Jerusalem would not be the end. We need to recognize that whatever tempts us, whatever causes us to be discouraged or even to despair, does not have the last word. Christ is one. We win with him. And even in the wreckage of this world, even in the wreckage of our lives, God is building and planting a kingdom that will blossom into a glorious new heavens and new earth. Every prayer for healing of God's people will be answered, but maybe not necessarily in this life. It takes faith to see beyond that veil of death into the world to come. But then God calls us to live by faith and not by sight. But what if that weren't the case? What if all of the mess of human history in God's providence was not leading towards something glorious and beautiful and magnificent? What if this was it? Just another day. Just another rotation of the earth. Just another lap around the sun. Well, then despair really is the only reasonable option. Because it's all pointless. It's all meaningless. It's all going nowhere. Let us eat and drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. And that's kind of what Jeremiah is feeling. But that's not the case. Despair is not the only option. God promises that this world in his providence, in his grace, in Christ, will issue forth into a new heavens and a new earth. And you see, faith clings hard to that promise. That God is good all the time, in this life and in the life to come. It clings to that promise. It clings hard to Christ until joy breaks through. It says, I will not let go of you, Lord, until you bless me. Let's pray. Our Father, we feel to one degree or another at different times what Jeremiah experiences so intensely here. Father, keep us from despair. Increase our faith. Father, we who live in a day Jeremiah could only anticipate, the day of new covenant, a day of which he wrote, a day of which he spoke, but a day that in the flesh he did not live to see. But we do, Lord. We live when Christ has come. We live in the day of your Holy Spirit. We live in the day of your complete word. And Father, we pray that with those resources, that we might live in joy, in trust, in faithfulness, even when times are hard, even when it seems blackness is all around, even when it seems that quitting and despair is the only option to recognize it's not, that Christ was rejected, that Christ suffered, that Christ came out of the grave, and we've been raised to new life in him, And we have a glorious and eternal destiny with you.
We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.